Wow. My dad would say, don't make them happy twice. Happy to see you come and happy to see you leave. <laughs> so I'm going to attempt to share my heart with you today. But before I get into that, can we just give our God a great big hand clap of praise for what he's doing in this? Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Anybody love him this morning? I know it's early, but does anybody love him? Yes, God is intentional and he is up to something. And I told my brother out in the foyer, if you can explain it, God didn't have anything to do with it. So when it makes sense, it's not him. It's always situations that he orchestrates. And I was trying to figure out how a lot of things were going to transpire, but God is faithful. He allowed me to be here with you. I'm excited. I want to say to your wonderful pastor, who is already a great friend of mine in his absence and his family, want him to know we love him and we're praying with him. Amen. To Pastor John, thank you, man. My brother from another mother, man, I tell you, <laughs> you cool guy. I thank God for just bringing people into your life that's genuine, it's divine connections that he does. And, and to Sally, now Sally's like, uh, let me tell you, where's Sally? Can y'all make some noise for Miss Sally? Where's she at? Yeah, come on, y'all can do better than that. Yeah. Thank you. She has been so amazing, so accommodating. I want to say thank you from my heart. You guys have made me feel so welcome. Most of you, uh, or some of you probably remember me from uh, some years back when me and uh, David had some relationships in the worship and arts and, and uh, being able to be a part of some of your music and the fall festival and things of that nature. So we are excited about reconnecting and seeing what God is going to do in this space. Amen. So I hope you all get to come back this evening. Amen. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for blessing us, bringing us together in this space. I pray, Lord, that every word be edifying to your people. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be acceptable. Let them see all of you and none of me. Get the glory today, God, as only you can. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Listen, I am going to, if you all don't mind, uh, Go with me to Luke. Let's go to the gospel, the gospel of Luke, and I want to go to chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading verse 25. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. I'll be reading from the NIV, so if, I, if you have a different translation, just bear with me. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. When you found it, say amen. All right, listen, I'm going to start here. It says, verse 25, on the occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He went to him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Some of you all remember in the 90s, there used to be a wristband that we would wear. It had WWJD. And that acronym stood for what would, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Whatever situation you're facing, you ask, what would Jesus do? Well, I want you to look at the screen just for a quick second. Some of you are familiar, whether it's basketball or football. There's somebody on the field. He doesn't wear either team's jersey. As a matter of fact, he's responsible for calling the game like it is. He's not deterred or influenced by the crowd because sometimes when he makes a call, this half of the fan base will cheer while the others He's not distracted by the things that fly out of the audience onto the field because he realizes that he's held accountable by the headquarters in New York City and he's responsible for making sure that every call he makes is from the rule book. I'm going somewhere. Walk with me. He doesn't wear a jersey that says CNN. He doesn't wear a jersey that says Fox News. He doesn't wear a jersey that says black. He doesn't say a jersey that says white. He is responsible for calling it like it is. My brothers and sisters, I'm just going to speak for a few minutes on what would Jesus do, but I want you to think about this. We too have been called to be referees. And God has not called us to wear anybody's jersey. But he's given us a rule book, and he says that everything that we do should be seen through the lens of his word. Somebody shout amen. Unfortunately, my brothers and sisters, before we get into the text, we have some Christians today that are cultural Christians and not necessarily biblical Christians. They see things through the lens of the culture rather than the lens of 
God's word. I heard the young lady say in the song, God, allow my heart to break for the things that break your heart. Says, I want to be like you. I want to love like you. I want to see things the way you see it. But we have to be careful not to see it through the lens of the culture and make sure that whatever we do, we see it through the lens of God's word. When I look at Luke chapter 10, and I see a young man who's been beaten and on the side of the road, left half dead, only to have the preacher walk and see the situation, but move to the other side. It's comfortable on the other side. You don't have to do any work on the other side. You don't have to address it on the other side. The worship leader, the Levite, he found himself going down the same road. I don't know if he was on his way to choir rehearsal or to a business. I don't know where he was on his way to. But I do know the Bible says that he saw that same man half dead. He too went on the other side. But a Samaritan, a mixed-blooded half-breed, not seen as pure, saw the same situation. And the Bible says he went to him and had pity on him. His heart was breaking for something that broke the heart of God. I asked myself, why didn't the preacher react the same way? Why didn't the Levite move intentionally like the Samaritan? You all ask such good questions. But there is something I want to show you briefly. I want you to do this quick exercise for me. I want you to count how many F's you see on the screen. All right, that's enough. How many do you see? Somebody shout it out real loud. Oh, go four, three, six, five, six, seven. Oh. Somebody said three. Somebody said five. All right, let's count them. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four. What happened? We look over not only the word of, but the very first F. It wasn't highlighted, but it's there. Six. Some said three, some said five. Now, we're all looking at the same thing, but we came up with a different number. Do you know that sometimes the reason why we see things differently is because we want to see it from our perspective? But something tells me that the Samaritan had a different perspective than the priest and the Levite. I'm assigned to challenge you this morning to think about what would Jesus do? When you look at what we see every day, who is your neighbor? 
What situations, what circumstances have you seen that if you be honest, instead of being moved and seeing it through the lens of God's word, sometimes it was more comfortable for you to move to the other side. If I was at my church, I'll say, just say ouch or, or blink or something because some of y'all still looking like Alice in Wonderland. But I want you to know, point number one, the Samaritan acknowledged the crisis. He acknowledged the crisis because his perspective and his passion had to be connected to something that moved him beyond himself. Willing to get uncomfortable and to inconvenience himself to go and see about this man. Not asking, how did you get here? Why are you here? What happened to you? What bad choices did you make? Not taking him through any of that, but being moved with passion and compassion to go where he was and to be pity and to show love. My brothers and my sisters, I'll be honest with you. God had to work on my heart. I had to change my perspective from a cultural perspective to a biblical one. When I looked at the life of Jonah, and I know we always talk about Jonah being swallowed by the well, and we talk about how Jonah ran from God, but we don't talk about why Jonah ran. What caused Jonah to be so angry and bitter and resentful to where he wanted to leave the assignment? My testimony was like Jonah. Can I be honest? Can I be real with y'all this afternoon, this morning? Jonah was upset and he was angry and he was bitter because the Ninevites had annihilated his people. The Ninevites had killed Jonah's people. The Ninevites were responsible for so much hatred and so much pain that Jonah said, I'm not going to preach to them because if I preach to them, you're going to save them and I don't want them to be saved. I want some vengeance. I want some payback. So I'm going to run from the assignment. This is no what would Jesus do moment. Jonah said, take that wristband. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going the other way. Hmm. You know, you can't run from God. I tried it. I tried to stay in this space of anger and stay in this space to where I was very uh, frustrated and confused and try to ask God, God, why did so much happen to people that look like me? God says, you remind me of Jonah, boy. <laughs> You're so angry. You know the story. He ran. He ran. And he found himself in the bottom of a well, only to be spitted out on the dry land, to find himself moving toward where God wanted him. As he got closer to Nineveh, he got up under a tree and he found some comfort and shade for a worm to eat up the leaves. And the sun began to burn. He says, God, why did you do that? I was comfortable where I was. I was cool right there. Why did you do that? I didn't want you to do that. I didn't want you to do that. He says, so you mean to tell me that you're okay with me destroying a leaf, a life, but not a leaf? You want me to burn up Nineveh, lives that I created, people that are still mine, but you wanted me to spare a leaf. He says, you want a leaf over a life. It convicted me. It convicted me. Because I had to realize that my perspective was not being seen through the word of God. I had to check myself. And I had to ask myself, 
What is it? What is it? He says, you two things belong to me, Marcellus, glory and vengeance. Glory is mine and vengeance is mine. So you need to make sure you move out of the way and let me do what I'm doing through you. Huh. We fast forward. God has transformed me. God has saved me. And I no longer have the sin of pride in my heart or hate toward anybody because only God can do that. So I asked myself the question, in this space of what would Jesus do? God, are you saying that we need to just forget? Are you saying that I just need to leave it alone? What can I do because we're not together right now? We need to be together. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I told you you asked such good questions. He says, Marcellus, there's a quote by Dr. King. Some of you have heard it, seen it. Dr. King has a quote. He says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Now, I know somebody just got... Oh, why he coming up in here with that black history? Oh, Lord, here we go. There's Martin Luther King on the screen. We done messed up. He can't come back. Hold on. Bear with me. Because I know sometimes we don't think about justice as a Sunday school term. We use it in the courts. But how many of you know our God is a God of justice? I got four claps and two amens. So let me give you some Bible. Go to Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Because I don't want you to think Dr. King made that up. The word of God says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Dr. King was in line with the word of God. Dr. King's quote was in alignment from a biblical perspective and not a cultural one. How many of you know the cultural perspectives can get you in trouble? Because everything that the culture dishes out is not necessarily aligned with the word of God. Amen. And let me say this for those of us that are not speaking to each other. Just because I love you doesn't mean I agree with you. And just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't love you. You don't believe me? Ask married people. I can love you and not agree with you. I can disagree with you and keep loving you. We live in a culture that says, in order for you to love me, you have to agree with me. No, I do not agree with that. And as a body of believers, when it comes to the truth and the word of God, we ought to be able to stand flat-footed no matter what the conversation and look at it through the lens of God's word and ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? What did he do? When it comes to same-sex marriage, I love everybody, but I don't agree with it. Why? Because the word of God says so. 
When it comes to situations around police brutality, if I see somebody shot in the back seven times, I can still love the cop but not agree with his actions. Oh, let me, let, 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 let me take the temperature real quick. Here we go. You want to know whether or not you're cultural or biblical, right? Let me help you. Okay, let's think about this. If you had more passion over the buildings that were burning rather than the bodies that were beaten, something's wrong. Let me push it a little bit further. If you can stand out on the abortion clinics with the sign and say, no abortion. And I'm standing right there with you as a brother because I'm against, I don't believe in abortion. I'm, I'm right there with you. But when I go down and I want to say all lives, black lives matter, not the organization, but the statement and the movement, I want to see my brother standing with me. Because guess what? When we see it through the lens of God's word, we are going to become passionate about anything that's destitute injustice, things that are not done fairly. God says, I'm looking for some people that are going to represent the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. He says, I didn't come to make peace, but I came to divide. Oh, Jesus, I thought during Christmas, we always talk about peace and joy and love. He says, I didn't come to make peace. I came to divide. In other words, I'm not taking sides, Marcellus. I'm taking over. He says, I don't care if it's your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. He says, it's my way and everybody else and everybody else is wrong. It hit me hard. I said, so God, what do we do? Speak up. Be a voice. Somebody says, I don't have power. I don't have influence. You have a voice. He says, speak up. For those that are destitute. And I see this Samaritan not only speaking up, but his compassion moved him to action. Look at the text. It says in verse 34 of Luke 10, it says he went to the man. And it says he had pity on him. And the Bible says that he began to address his condition and he began to act upon the situation. He had compassion. He didn't just have, watch this, acknowledging the crisis. He moved beyond just acknowledging and speaking about what's going on. But he went over and he said, I'm going to be intentional. The young lady just said, Jesus did the same thing for us. While we were yet in sin, he died. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He didn't wait for us to be cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to get ourselves together. He came to where we were and he watched over us and he touched us and he transformed us because he loved us unconditionally. What would Jesus do? Have you seen any brothers? Have you seen any sisters? Have you seen anybody in your proximity, in your space that don't have hope or they don't seem like they have the love of God or they're struggling with a crisis or a condition? Has God called you to be available to your brother, to your sister? What would Jesus do? 
Not only did this man acknowledge the crisis, not only did he act on com with compassion, the Bible says in verse 35, look at that for me. Verse 35, I'm still in Luke 10. It says, the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is what I love about seeing the love of God even in this text. I see Jesus showing us and teaching us how to not only acknowledge the crisis, not only to move with compassion, but to continue being the neighbor. Even after you address the situation, even after God has moved you into the life of someone that you've been able to help that could not help themselves, God says, don't stop there. Don't let it just be an event. Like tonight, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited, but don't let it be a moment, but a movement. Don't let it be a one night stand. Don't let it be something that just made us feel good for an hour and a half. But let's continue being neighbors. Let's continue showing the love. How did he continue being his neighbor? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says that he stayed with him until the next day. The Bible says, and after he left, he says, listen, whatever he does while I'm away, because he may need some more time. I don't know. His condition is so bad. He may need to stay a few more days. But listen, whatever expense you have, charge it to me. <sighs> what would the world be like if we had people like that? That whenever you saw somebody in a situation that could not do for themselves, but you were intentional to show the love of God and to do whatever you could do to address it. And then you say, and whatever it takes to keep them sustained, whatever it takes to keep them, I'll pay for it. You know, that's what Jesus did. He said, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I know they don't have it covered. I have it covered. I got the tab. I'll do it. God is calling us to be just like him to be intentional, to be compassionate. He says, Marcellus, I'm moving in this season and I'm making a lot of people uncomfortable. I'm challenging people on both sides. Watch this, not to reflect the culture, but to reflect me. I am calling the body of Christ, the people that say that they are the ecclesia, those that say for Christ I live and for Christ I die, those who say they worship me in spirit and in truth. He says, I am calling my body, my church to be my hands and my feet. He says, and the world will only know that you are mine by your love for one another. Your neighbor. I love this series you're in, how you're defining your neighbor. It's everybody. No matter the color, creed, or race, it's everybody. And we can learn so much from this Samaritan. My brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you can feel and see Jesus in the Samaritan. 
that he was willing to make himself uncomfortable, that he was willing to inconvenience himself, to be intentional with his neighbor. I had the opportunity of trying, notice I said trying, to put together my wife's vacuum cleaner. I, I had the opportunity, and John, I was really trying to, to, to because I, I'm, a, I'm kinesthetic, but I'm a visual, so I look at the box, and I say, you know what, I don't need the instructions. I, I, I can look at the box. Any other brothers, holler if you hit me. Come on, help me out now. Help me out. Anybody ever done that? Don't leave me out here by myself. I, I, I saw the box, and I said, I can do that. It's only a few parts. I can do this. And so I found myself trying to put things together so that I could vacuum the stairs. Only to find out the brush wouldn't move. It was on, but it wasn't working, if that makes sense. I had things out of order. It wasn't put together properly so it could not do and fulfill its purpose. Before I tried to put them together, the parts, here it is, were just gathered in a box. Not assembled, but gathered. Different shades, different parts, big, small, Little, they looked different. They had different everything. Different parts, they were just gathered in a box, not assembled. Hebrew 10, 25 says, do not forsake the assembly. And when I looked at that, God hit me and he says, Marcellus, the body of Christ, whenever we get this thing right with loving one another and when we get this thing right with being intentional and calling it like it is, when we get this thing right to where we inconvenience ourselves and when we get this thing right to look beyond what somebody else looks like or what political party associated with or what side of town they're from, when we get to the point to where all of our parts may be different, they have made different shapes, different size, different shades, but when they are assembled properly, he says, they can clean up some dirt like that vacuum cleaner. <laughs> they assemble and you plug it up to the power source and that power source allows us, watch this, whew, to come together and that power allows us to do what God has called us to do as his kingdom believers. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to figure out everybody else. I just want to be in line with what God said because I know when I get in alignment with his word, I'll treat my neighbor right. When I get in alignment with his word, I will love my neighbor. When I get in alignment with his word, he will bring people that don't even look like me to connect with me, to do ministry, to be able to serve. And the people and the world will know that you are mine because of your love for one another. I wrote this song. It says, what we do and what we say, it matters. What will Jesus do? It matters. Asking ourselves the question, not just rhetorically, but intentionally. What will Jesus do? It matters. Knowing that.
how we treat our land, how we treat each other. It matters. walking alone wondering where and when had our hope gone looking around in our communities oh how things are not as they used to be but I realize if things are gonna change We all must stand up And say That what we do Some have no home and some have no food to eat Yet I believe and one day you'll see The change we're all looking for begins with you and me So I realize if things are gonna change We all must stand up And say yeah, That what we do And what we say Yeah, it matters. Hey, what? 
the things we do, the love we show, it all matters. Clap your hands if you believe that today. It all matters. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It matters. Help me to love like you, Jesus. Help me to love like you, Jesus. I want to know what would you do? You show me in your word, Jesus. It matters. God bless you. I love y'all, Crossroads.